As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to a live edition of State of the Nation. I am Jimmy Durkin. We've got Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, Ted Wynn here, ready to talk Raiders football. We've got an exhibition game already in the books, another one coming up on Sunday. Ready to take your questions. Uh, you guys can join the queue. You can hit that button that says Ask to Speak, and uh, we'll, we'll get to you guys in a little bit. We're going to start it off talking about a few of the, the main storylines that came out of that first preseason game. The Raiders in the Hall of Fame game beat the Jags, and... I mean, the big surprise first quarter was we saw starting running back Josh Jacobs uh, playing and playing a lot, really played that whole first quarter, had seven touches, I believe, uh, played well, looked good. I mean, there, no, no concerns there, but uh was surprising to see him uh, be, be that involved in the game early on. Most times you see starting running backs maybe, maybe touch the ball a couple times in the preseason. Um, and then really the other big storyline, I think, was the offensive line, uh, Brandon Parker, did not play well in that game, and we know now he's dealing with an injury. We're, we're not quite sure, I, I think, the full details on that. I know there has been some speculation about him being out for the season. With, um, you know, I think we, I don't think we know any of that quite yet. But um, I mean, yeah, just there, there was a lot to kind of unpack from uh, from a preseason game, especially from a Hall of Fame game, and uh, just kind of overall, what were you guys' thoughts of, of that opener, and, and especially uh, of Jacobs and, and his role? Yeah, I think with Jacobs, um, it just kind of drove home what uh, Vic has been writing about, you know, really since Zamir White got drafted, that it's going to be more of a, a running back by committee approach, which, you know, it makes sense. I mean, that's what they did really for, for most of the last two decades with the Patriots. Really, you know, I don't think it was an indictment against, you know, the quality of player that Josh Jacobs is. I think, you know, he's a guy that struggled with injuries in the past and a good way to help keep him upright is to, to split his carries a little bit more. And I think we're going to see that this season. And, you know, I think with Jacobs, you know, even though he hasn't been the same since that rookie campaign, I've always thought he was a pretty effective player. It's just a matter of him, you know, being healthy. And so, um, you know, I, I don't see why they would want to 
trade away a back as good as him. And also, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're getting, you know, in terms of draft compensation for a running back. So the, the trade speculation part always seemed a little weird on there. Outside of that, I mean, they had the offensive line. My big takeaway was, yeah, they're, they're, they're as, in as much trouble as I thought they were at right tackle, you know, without making a, a big addition this offseason. Um, I, I was always in the stance that, like, Brandon Parker is what he is. Like, I didn't think he was going to suddenly not be Brandon Parker anymore, but I thought that Alex Leatherwood might have a chance to get better. And I did think he looked a little bit more comfortable out there against the Jaguars. Um, and he's a young guy, so I think I would feel more confident about him improving, you know, with time and more experience. But, you know, I guess they could roll the dice with Leatherwood and see what he has. But, you know, again, as Vic wrote, I think they, they should probably look around on the market a little bit at that, at that right tackle spot. What is a little strange to me was how much help they game plan to Alex Leatherwood's side in a, in a meaningless game, you know. Um, I, I kind of get it. Like, they want to make sure that they get a good evaluation on the receivers and Stidham. Um, so they, they want to keep, you know, keep them protected. But I, I don't know if I've ever seen how much game plan help that for a right tackle in a, in a preseason game as uh, Leatherwood had. They, they kept the tight end on his side and they kept the tight end into block in particular. So in a lot of snaps, he wasn't even blocking the edge because the tight end was outside and helping him outside and the edge wouldn't even get to him. Um, so that's kind of a disturbing sign, you know, um, that they don't really trust him. I, I guess we'll see what happens next game. I'm not going to make any sweeping generalizations off of that game, but I, I just don't recall seeing a team game planning that much help for a tackle in a, a preseason game. Yeah, my biggest takeaways were that they looked um, very efficient. You know, they had good, like uh, McDaniel said, they had good tempo and offense. I thought you could definitely see uh, the work they put in in terms of the fundamentals just kind of being uh, all in sync. Um, as far as Jacobs go, I did think it was surprising just because I don't really buy that you don't know what you have. That they want to see what he can do against Jacksonville second string doesn't really make sense to me, obviously, because he has a history of being injury prone. I think you want to keep him fresh as possible, and I don't know what you really gain from from doing that. Um, uh, yeah, going in, I thought it was going to be a committee approach, and I definitely do. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Zamir White had more yards rushing now than Josh Jacobs does this season. So, um, and the the whole trade stuff doesn't make any sense. But then again, if a team were to say, hey, we, we want Josh Jacobs and we'll give you a draft pick. Maybe they listen. I, I don't know. But um, the fact that he played, you know, the first two series against, you know, Jacksonville backups in the first preseason game of the year, to me, is definitely um, what was a big storyline from that game. We do have a question here from Kyle M. And, and you know, we referenced it at the, at the opening here. Uh, do we know anything about Brandon Parker's injury? Um, yeah, have we heard anything there? I mean, we know he hasn't practiced the last couple of days, and there has been, been talk about it. It could be something that lands him on IR. What do we know at this point about Brandon Parker's, Parker's injury? Yeah, I haven't heard anything to the IR front. I mean, they've, they've typically been pretty quick with – I mean, they've had a couple guys uh, lost for the season, and, and pretty much I put them on IR the next day after they realized they were lost for the season. Um, and so – you know, the game was Thursday, so anything that occurred then by now, they would have, you know, the testing done. They were back, you know, here in Vegas as recently as last Friday. So, um, you know, I don't know the exact nature of the injury. They've been pretty closed mouth with injuries. You know, Darren Waller's, I would say more so than Brandon Parker's name. The people have been asking about Brandon, uh, Darren Waller's missed, I think, four practices in a row, along with cornerbacks Rocky Sin and Anthony Everett. So they have a few guys of note that are out that, um, you know, Josh McDaniels, he doesn't have to, so he's not going to tell us at this point. And I don't think anybody else in the building probably is either. But 
Um, the IR thing isn't something that I've heard. And if he was at the IR, you figure he would have been been placed there by now. Yeah, I haven't heard as far as what the injury is. I mean, that, that hasn't leaked yet. I think um, my my impression is that it is probably a little bit serious. And I think that um, I'm not really sure it matters at this point. I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, but uh, the way the way he played, I think it's kind of hard to plan uh, much around him. I know it was the left side, but. Yeah, a guy again who's experienced in this league. Who, if you, you know, worst case scenario, want to be a swing tackle, he shouldn't get dominated like that. And you know, against um, in a preseason game. So I think that I'm sure sent some alarms off uh, in the Raiders headquarters, uh, even you know, despite the injury. I was going to refer to what what Ted said earlier about helping out to the Leatherwood side. I mean, they might as well, right? If you notice your weak link, um, I feel like that's a smarter approach to do. And you know, I, I think they're going to be in 12 personnel pretty frequently with kind of Waller kind of standing as that X receiver when he's healthy and Foster Moreau is that, that inline tight end. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I don't, think, I don't think that's like the worst strategy in the world. And obviously he's going to have to, you know, perform well isolated by himself at, at some, sometimes. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think you need any need to do that, that strategy towards Colton Miller's side. And, you know, kind of within that, I think their interior offensive line is a little bit more solid than I, I gave it credit for. You know, Andre James was pretty solid. He played a good amount of time. Um, Lester Cotton, you really haven't seen him play much at all like before. Like, he only has five regular season snaps to his name, I believe, on offense. And so he looked pretty good for, for in, the, in the run game particularly. And John Simpson, may, maybe so-so, but, but Dylan Palms looked pretty good. Maybe he can push him at that left guard spot. So. I think the overall offensive line, like my takeaway is it might be better off than I thought, but that right tackle spot um, is one that's kind of, especially if, you know, the depth, if something is wrong with Brandon Parker long-term, um, like I'm not the biggest Jermaine Illuminor guy. So I think either way, like especially if, if Parker is injured, they, they might need to head to the market and see if there's a veteran out there. But the, the problem is, you know, these preseason games, you, you're trying to evaluate, you know, like the, the, Keeping a tight end thing is a good strategy for a regular season game when there's stakes. But when you're trying to evaluate guys and you don't even trust this guy enough to evaluate him, you know, without risking your quarterback, that's a little tough. That's a tough look. And, you know, and even if you're in 12 personnel, when if you're keeping a tight, tight end into block or even delaying him, that hurts your passing game because, you you know, the, the goal is try to get as many eligible receivers out as quick as possible. But if you are – limited and you're hampered by having to keep a guy in that that hurts um the the overall spacing and your passing game so it's a little tough but you know i i don't know what their intention was if they really didn't trust leatherwood but uh i mean we'll find out soon in, in this next next game against the vikings all right we've got jeremy p we're gonna go to jeremy p now for some questions here. question here this may be more for vic and to sean i'm not sure if, if uh ted and jimmy have been able to see any of training camp, but just wanted to see if uh, what are the biggest differences you guys have noticed um, from the Gruden regime to McDaniels, and then also if anything stands out as far as how maybe being similar uh, as well. Um, I would say the, the defense has been pretty pretty different. Um, I mean, you're going from Gus Bradley, who's really as vanilla of a defensive coordinator as you're going to find, playing cover three almost every play, single high safety, 4-3 front. And Patrick Graham mixes it up a lot. I mean, we saw it early against the Jaguars. They were going 4-3, 3-4. He moves the safeties around more, um, plays different coverages, moves, you know, cornerbacks inside, outside, and, and moves them around a little bit more depending on who's, the field, who's on the field. And so I think that's been the most stark difference, just watching practice day in and day out, is how much they mix it up on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but offensively, it's been more – 
you know, they, they, you know, it's a little bit more, it's more modern, I would say, and up-tempo, but a lot of the, the way it looks is pretty similar, you know, like, you know, like, like John Gruden, Josh McDaniels uses a fullback, you know, he uses multiple tight end sets, um, you know, he'll, he'll also spread it out and go 11 personnel. And so um, it kind of, the structure of it looks similar. I think just, you know, McDaniels is more modern, he pushes the tempo more, gets the running backs more involved in the passing game. You see more screen passes, um, you know, more things on the move. And so um, offensively, I think they're going to be more similar than, than different to what they were in the past, while I think defensively is going to be wildly different than it was last year. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a, you know, the, we've talked about the bigger stress on fundamentals. You have guys who are doing laps and doing push-ups, and that wasn't the case under, under John. I think also, uh, I know Josh had that one blow-up blow at Malcolm Kuntz uh, when he got in Derek Carr's way, but otherwise, it's kind of, a, kind of a more quieter uh, practices. I think John Gruden definitely was always heard, and, and you definitely hear him screaming at guys and kind of giving his... Uh, his anger out. I just, um, but as far as the offense goes, like Deshaun says, I think definitely both uh, guys who play calling is um, definitely appreciated throughout the league. There's different wrinkles, definitely, but I think the yes, I can see uh, the offense looking good again in, in training camp. Vic, I know you made that comment in one of the stories about uh, having to get the binoculars out. Do they like? What's the access <laughs> like? Do they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, got, it got worse, man. Wow, yeah, I mean, yeah. it worse. Like, let me talk to you uh, about this. Let me let me let me get into my bag on this. So, to yesterday, like they they flipped us over to the other side of the field. You don't like, like tents, man. You don't like you don't like sitting in a tent. No, I don't like fucking tents. So, like on the one <laughs> side, there's like this like track area where you can actually like walk along um, up to like the 50, 45 yard line and see a good amount of what's. You can only see one side of the ball. Like you can't walk down the baseline and get over to the defensive side. So we, we've always been isolated to one side, but yesterday he told us we couldn't even leave the tent. And like from the tent for context, like they have a bunch of stands for fans and they put our tent all the way at the end of the field. So like in the corner of the field and we can't even like walk out on the grass in front of the tent. So they have to stay inside the tent, sitting down in chairs to try to see what the fuck is going on a hundred, 200 yards away. And it's just like, it makes it tough. Cause I don't want to, like, obviously, I'm trying to observe and see what's going on, but I, I can only say with so much confidence, yeah, that guy looked good today when I missed, like, 50% of his reps, you know what I mean? So it kind of makes it a little tricky, and I try to, like, to, I don't know if you've been, like, like if you read some of my practice observations, I don't really go too hard either way, like, saying the guy looks great or saying the guy looks terrible, because I more so catch, like, glimpses of what's going on more so than getting the complete picture, and so that's why I really... Um, you know, these preseason games, like I know they're t- typically viewed as meaningless, but I'm as locked into them as, as you guys probably are not being able to see practice just to kind of be able to evaluate guys a little bit better. And so, um, you know, access has never been too great out here, but it's definitely been a little bit more restricted in terms of like our sight lines at practice and what we're actually able to, to see as practice is going on. Problem is the new facility is too nice, man. In Oakland, they only had like their two fields, almost kind of uh, in poor shapes. So they couldn't go too far from you, but now they got three or four fields. They can go, they can go a mile away, and you leave you uh, on the other side, and you can't go past certain lines. They have it all, you know, lined off. So um, I blame the, uh, the nice facility. Also, it's, just, it's too nice for us to uh, to see very much. It sounds like the Patriot Way has made it to Vegas. Oh, no oh, doubt. I mean, absolutely. all the absolutely. talk of like, they're not doing it the Patriot way, they're doing it the Patriot way. I know that's what they want to say, but it's definitely the Patriot way. That's fine. The Patriot way clearly works. So, I mean, I know you want to come in and say, you know, I'm my own guy, I'm that Belichick's guy, but 
clearly there's a model they're using, and it's it's the Patriots' way, and, and that that's fine. I mean, so we'll see uh, how it works this season. You can't oh, risk I having a guy with a camcorder at practice. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Jeremy. All right, I did want to answer a quick couple questions here from the uh, from the chat. Uh, Isidro C asked: There were reporters in the locker room post Hall of Fame game. Will that be the case during the regular season? Yes, that will be the case. Open locker rooms, finally a thing that Tashawn gets to experience. Third year covering the Raiders, third year covering the NFL, and he's finally going to get to see what post game and well regular season, you know, I mean, throughout the week access like in the, uh, in the locker room. So that, that will hopefully be a good thing uh, for him, for our, uh, for our coverage and, uh, and, and for everybody that, that listens and follows the Raiders. Yeah. Maybe he'll finally get Derek Carr to unblock him. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to walk up to him. I'm not going gonna, gonna to ask him why he blocked me. I'm just going to ask him, do you know you have any blocks? I bet you he's going to say no. I bet a lot of money he doesn't have, he has no idea. Cause he's always nice. He gives me great answers. So I, I don't think we have real beef. I think it's fake. All right, we're going to bring on Lucas L. I was wondering, with the cast space we have, do you guys think that we might be bringing in any more, like, offensive tackles to, like, cover that right side a little bit better? And that, that right side is kind of scaring me right now. Yeah, they should. I, should. I think they definitely – I think they should. I think I'm not sure what's wrong with Darren Williams, but there's definitely him, other guys in the market. I think I come in and solidify that right tackle spot, and you could kind of help – Show up the entire line. So I don't know if you're waiting for, you know, guys who get waived off rosters in a couple of weeks or because there's some reason they don't like the guys who are out there now, but they clearly have the money. And to me, there's clearly a need. So I, I would, I still don't think Leatherwood or Lusher Cotton are going to start this year. So I think they have to find some new guys to plug in at some point. Yeah. I think, I don't know. It's a little tricky because um, at the end, I think another position they're probably looking at is defensive tackle. You know, they have Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankins on physically unable to perform list. They have like another two weeks. So August 23rd is the last day they can take them off that list without them um, having to miss games going into the regular season. And so if those guys aren't able to get back, I would think defensive tackle may be a spot that they could, they'd look at. Cause outside of Kendall Vickers, they, had, they haven't really had anybody in practice or in, or in the game that they played that had much, much pass rush juice in my opinion. And so that could be other spot. And then they may just be given a chance for, you know, Parker's hurt now, but given Leatherwood, you know, kind of a trial run, you know, these games don't count. Um, and any guy that's available now is probably going to continue to be available. I mean, it's, it's August, right? So they don't necessarily have to be in a rush to get a guy signed, especially a veteran guy. You know, you'd be able to, you think he'd be able to pick up this game a little bit quicker and get ready for the season, if, even if he only has like a, a couple weeks notice. And so maybe they're just trying to see what Alex Leatherwood has and see if he can, he can get the job done, and if not, you know, maybe maybe in a couple of weeks we see them go out and get a guy. You know, they don't really have to rush. Again, these games really don't matter, and Derek Carr isn't touching the field, and so if a guy gets gets blown by, I mean, obviously they don't want any quarterback to get hurt, but it's not like, you know, it's life or death right now. So you might as well see what you have, um, you know, especially since they're, they're allocating some solid resources there. Like, you know, Alex Otherwood has first-round pick money, and Brandon Parker got like 3.5 mil, and so – might as well see if you absolutely have to make an addition or, or can you kind of keep some of that space free in just in case you have injuries elsewhere, things of that nature. All right. And I have another question hopping over the defense now. So we all know Nate Hobbs got that dog in him, but like, is he going to be kind of like that corner that we set on their number one receiver on the other side just to, you know, lock them down? I don't really see him being locked in like that. I think they're going to move him around a good amount actually between playing nickel and outside. Um, I don't think they have a corner like that. Even if everybody's healthy, Trayvon Mullen, Anthony Haver, Rocky Sanders, the guy is just going to track one guy across the field. Um, I think they would prefer to have multiple guys who can guard, you know, the, another team's number one. 
Um, and so I, I think they're going to be pretty interchangeable at corner. Um, at least that's, that's their hope. And, um, you know, they, they've been high on Amik Robertson, too. I know he's a guy that's in his first couple of years, he didn't play well. Um, and you see smaller, he's 5'8", but he's been in the rotation at least since OTAs. Um, you know, injuries played a factor in that, but um, he's been playing well and, and kind of justifying them having him in the mix. And so uh, I think they, they they believe they have five pretty solid guys who they, they're they okay with having them on the field outside. And, um, you know, it's really all the depth you need. And so uh, I don't think they have, like, one standout lockdown, you know, top-tier cornerback, but I think they have a pretty pretty deep group. Um, and, and versatile group that they can throw out there. Yeah, I'm pulling for Amik. Uh, he definitely is a feisty guy. I like how he attacks his position. But, I mean, the last staff had a very similar reaction to him in the preseason. Like, oh, this guy is great. We love this guy's energy. We love all the thing about him. And then they put him in a real game. Like, oh, wait, he's too small. Yeah, so hopefully that won't happen here. But, um, again, he seems like a guy who definitely can seize the you know, opportunities in preseason and kind of make a good impression. Hopefully this time they can kind of go to the next step once the uh, regular season starts. All right, and I got one last question for you guys. Uh, from what you guys have been noticing, because you guys are actually there, who looks like they're going to, so far, who's winning that wide receiver three spot? Um, you mean like the other outside spots? Yeah. Something like Matt Collins, Collins, Matt Collins has it on lock. Um, but I think but it's going to on lock because it's going to be pretty interchangeable, I think. Marcus Robinson there. Keelan Cole there some if if he makes the roster, Tyron Johnson as a as a deep threat. And so I think that's gonna be, you know, Waller, like I said, I think he's gonna line up, you know, as a quote unquote outside receiver at times. So I don't think you're gonna see like one guy there like seventy percent of the time or anything crazy. I think it's gonna be more of a, a situational position that they change based on where they are on the field and what down it is. Um, which I think is fine. Like they have a pretty deep receiver group and so you have different different builds and different types of receivers, you might as well rotate them. And, you know, when you have a big three like they do with, with Devontae Adams and, and Waller and Hunter Renfro, um, you know, your fourth receiving option, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it's, you know, you don't don't need to have a clear-cut guy that, that stands above the rest, in my opinion. All right. Thank you, guys. You guys are doing great work out there. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. This is Jim. Yeah. I got a question. Hey, Jim. Um, so, like everyone else, I'm worried about the offensive line. Because to me, we got – I'm not convinced by Hall of Fame game performance that means that Simpson and James and Cotton are ready to go, right? So I'm just wondering, how do we get to this point? McDaniels and Ziegler are smart. How do we go into the season with, you know, one good offensive lineman and James mediocre at best? How come this wasn't addressed earlier? I mean, they just seem too smart for that. That's a good question. My take is just that they have the utmost confidence in their staff. I think they like the, the Carmine guy they brought in. I think they think he can work with these guys. I think they th- saw the same thing at Brandon Parker. Other coaches have seen the raw material. He's a big guy who's, you know, a hardworking guy who seems to do well in practice and had, had some good games in the past. But I think they may have gotten a little ahead of themselves as far as projecting him as a guy who can possibly start uh, for them. So I think that's not the case anymore. And other words, a guy that you – like Deshaun mentioned, he's a guy who's a first-round pick who you kind of have to see what he can do. I mean, obviously, he's not your guy, but he's still a guy who you're paying a lot for, and hopefully you can kind of uh, get him better. So I get the approach in terms of seeing what you have and, and trusting your staff, but as I wrote last week, there definitely is a time where you got to say, you know what, uh, we have too much at stake. Like you said, this team is too good. We can't really take chances and, and gamble at, at these positions. So I think that's why, to me, the urgency grows every day with adding someone at right tackle, adding a guy, a veteran guard maybe, who can replace them so good. And just um, ideally it happens sooner than later. But, uh, again, these guys, like you said, they're, they're, they've been sharp and 
I imagine they have a plan and a timeline, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're working with limited resources, right? And so you have to make choices. And, you know, free agency, they decided they need a, a lift on the defensive line. And so they, they traded Unique Ngakwe, signed Chandler Jones, get Bilal Nichols, pay him a pretty nice amount of money. Um, you know, you trade for Devontae Adams, sign him to a huge deal. You know, there's guys that you want to keep on the roster that want new deals. Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby, you have to think about that. You can only pay so many people and then kind of the top tier good good to great offensive linemen that were on the market and spent a lot of money to get those guys and so they chose to make decisions elsewhere and then you know byproduct of getting Devontae Adams they lost their two top picks in the draft this year and so they missed out on you know guys that are viewed as being you know the upper echelon offensive linemen in the draft and I mean they got Dylan Parham and he's been pushing on the interior but um, you know, so they're, they're, I think it was more so about their, their resources being limited. And then, you know, the guys that are out there on the market right now, like there, there are some guys that have like been okay veterans, but it's nobody that's like, well, this guy is great. Like we, he's a clear upgrade over whoever we have, you know? And so I, I, I think it's fine that they, and again, as I said earlier, the guys that are out there, I don't see, I don't think all sudden five right tackles are going to get signed, you know, this late in the free agency period. And so. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, a bad thing to, to see what you have, you know, with, with a guy who was a first round pick last year before you just rush in and make a signing. Um, you know, on, on the interior, you know, I think their hope is that Dylan Parham, I know he's a rookie, but, you know, that if, you know, John Simpson or Lester Cotton aren't up to snuff, that, that Dylan Parham can step in at one of those spots. You know, he's it's been a third round pick on him, you know, it's not nothing. And so um, I, I think they feel like that four man group there, they can figure things out. Um, and we'll kind of see how things go at, at tackle with the rest of this, this preseason. I've just seen a lot of bad Raider teams, and, you know, Mack and Bosa are waiting week one. And well, what always happens is, you know, the preseason, everyone's optimistic. In the first game of the season, we get our ass kicked, and all of a sudden we're going 2-14. and 14. And that's yeah. what this smells wow. like. And, and this smell is the same thing with now, and you guys have been writing that they, they really like Abrams and they're giving him a chance. But, I mean, the guy can't cover anybody. I don't know how uh, uh, switching his technique a little bit, all of a sudden he's going to be able to cover people. It's not like he was close before. So I, I just worried we're heading into some of the same mistakes. I mean, the, the interior O-line was terrible last year, and Cotton couldn't even make the game day roster. So I don't buy him losing a few pounds. All of a sudden he's a starting guard, you know? He got baptized. Come on. No, I, like I, mean, this, like, I like this guy, man. This guy's good. I like your energy. No, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, uh, I think you have to make some good points. Yeah, give me on the podcast, guys. Come on. Either, I'll mix it up. Safety, there's really nothing they can do. Like, there's nobody on the safety market that's like, I would say is better than Jonathan Abram or like Deron Harmon. Like, they're all it's like a similar tier of guys. And so it's like, I mean, safety is what it is. They just don't have to figure that out. But you know, offensive line, you know, I'm, I'm with you. They could make some upgrades there. But who's um, my guy last week? Matthias Farley. That's my guy, man. I'm, I'm big on. I'm uh, Matthias Farley guy now. Watch, watch, watch him go. Get the fuck out of here. You guys got every year. It's Dylan Stoner one year. Is somebody, you know, he's, he's ain't making a roster. Come on now. Hey, I mean, can he have any work dirty Kelsey than uh, Abrams was? I mean, come on. I mean, uh, I don't know. I think if they, because I think, as I said, they're moving around the safeties more than they were before. And so, like, you know, they have these guys line up on the line of scrimmage and at, at basically playing slot corner. They have them in the box. They have them playing deep. And so I think it's going to be a little bit more. Like Trayvon Moore is, is the lock guy, but I think Harmon and Abram are kind of going to rotate a little bit. It's just my gut feeling. Like I thought I hadn't been told this or anything like that. But and you know whatever fourth safety, I think they're going to probably carry four safeties, and so maybe that's Tyree Gillespie or somebody of that nature is able to 
you know, filling in those spots where Abram is a little bit weaker in, you know, and so uh, I, I'm so I'm, I'm, I think that's a, a, a area of concern for sure. But I think there's ways they can kind of manage it. Like you're not gonna everywhere is not gonna be a strength. There's gonna be weaknesses somewhere, you know, and so. Uh, the offensive line and safety they are probably the two spots where they're going to be a little weaker this year. I was half kidding about Farley, but I do think the next three weeks you're going to see Harmon take more and more reps from Habram. I think definitely he'll be the guy in my mind come week one. So I think they like, you know, he's got the veteran experience. He knows what he's doing. He knows the system very well. He knows how to help guys. He's better in coverage than Abram is, even if Abram is better now than he was. But I, I, just, I do think Harmon will be the guy there uh, before long at, at the other safety spot. Yeah, and, you know, when you're building a team, there are times where you have to believe that your coaching staff could gain you an advantage at certain positions, and we'll see if they're going to be right about offensive line and and safety, but that seems like two spots that they think that they can coach around with the guys that they have. So, you know, that's going to be one of the first – big state coaching statements that they make it, whether they could actually do that or not. All right, Jim, we appreciate it. We're going to go now to Benjamin H. What's going on, Benjamin? Hey guys. Um, I love these, uh, call in deals. I'm glad you're doing another one as usual. I'll try not to hog the mic. I have like 90 things I'd love to ask you about. So I'll, I'll limit myself to one and then I'll ping back in later if, if there's time, but, um, uh, there's been a lot of attention paid, uh, in the media and, and your guys' coverage included so far about the fact that the Raiders have to run a lap if they make a mistake and if they commit a penalty in practice. And, I mean, I, you know, what do I know? But if the solution to minimizing penalties were running a lap, like, why didn't Jack Del Rio and Norv Turner and fucking Lane Kiffin do that? Like, it, what is the deal with this lap run? Like, doesn't every team do that? And do you really think it's going to help? Is this like some revolutionary breakthrough that Josh McDaniels has brought in? Uh, I love these guys, man. It's great energy, man. You guys are good stuff. Um, it's I'm going to start making you guys run a lap whenever you have a typo. Like, it's, 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 that's going to be lap for every typo, guys. I mean, it's especially hot in Vegas. So the laps are even like, yeah, I'm going to shape. <laughs> the, the laps in Vegas are harder than anywhere else. So I agree with you, though. It's kind of ridiculous how much attention the laps and the push-ups are getting. But it's a start. I mean, you definitely as a new staff to come in. You want to set the tone and you want to stress the fundamentals. And I get it's a little corny, but, um, you know, it's definitely not as corny as you know, bearing a football to end a losing streak. So there's been a, <laughs> a history of corny stuff in this organization. So I'm not going to get too mad about push-ups and laps, but – it's just a way to kind of stress that you're serious about fundamentals and there's consequences. But yeah, it's not a huge, it's not a huge deal. It's not going to be the reason why they win the whole thing this year is because they did laps in, in August. So yeah, is it I mean, the case that Gruden and Del Rio did not make the players do laps when they committed penalties in practice? I didn't see Gruden. I wasn't here for Del Rio, but I didn't see Gruden make. Yeah, there were no it. laps. They were yell, they yelled the guy. Though. They yelled the guy and call him. They questioned his, you know, manhood a little bit, but they wouldn't make him do a lap. So. I think they just figured these guys are professionals and they, you get better on your own. And yeah. you want it. But so it's just a different method of rather than calling somebody, you know, MF and blah, 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 you say, hey, go run a lap. So it's just a different way of attacking a problem. I will say, I think it probably is going to work because, like, I mean, Max Crosby ran one yesterday and he was fine. I mean, it's Max Crosby, but them offensive linemen, especially when it's like <laughs> late in practice and it's 11 on 11. They'd be huffing and puffing when they're coming around that corner. So, I mean, it's just, <laughs> they ain't going to want to run them laps too much longer. Um, so, it, it's it's like, it's, it's it's been overblown for sure. Like, it's 
it's like okay guys like we don't have to talk about this shit for three weeks right but um it, it should make like you know it's, it's i think some discipline i mean it's football right like it's not always gonna be you know sunshine and rainbow and all nice and friendly like you gotta harp on guys a little bit and so um as long as it doesn't seem like it's crossing over to the point where I know we're, we're during this Broncos step and the Daniels had a reputation for being like authoritarian and super militaristic and kind of crazy. Like it, it hasn't reached that point. So um, I think he's doing a better job with the Raiders of kind of towing the line with it. All right. Thanks guys. I'll ping back in later if there's time. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to go now to Ryan E. Ryan, how you doing, man? Hey, gang. Uh, thanks for letting me get a chance to speak with you all. I listen to your podcast all the time. Big fans. Appreciate and, it. Uh, yeah, first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was, you know, is Renfro punt returning again this year? Like, I've seen him, like, do it a couple times. Like, when he almost ran into Devontae Adams at one time, he was trying to catch a punt. Um but I, I've seen more of, like, Darius Phillips, the cornerback, and Tyron Johnson um, and some other guys. So I don't I don't believe they're going to have him back there taking returns this year, especially given since they gave him some money now. Um, and especially if, 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 you know, if they keep Darius Phillips on the roster. Like, he's a pretty good return guy with the Bengals for the last few years. I don't have the numbers on hand, but he's, he's pretty solid. And so it doesn't seem like it'd be make a lot of sense to risk. He's pretty good at it. Like, Renfro's pretty good at, at the punt return stuff, but I don't think it's worth risking him. Um, especially considering, you know, how, how big of a role he's going to play in offense this year. Darius Phillips, uh, 21 punt returns last year, 177 yards, average 7.1 yards per return. There you go. There you go. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Average 21.1 yards per kick return. Only had eight of them. Yeah. Yeah. So he's solid, you know. Yeah. He can do he the job. He's solid enough to where I'm not putting Hunter Renfro out there. Nah, um, nah. I will say like the punt return. But a backup, a backup cornerback is way safer to put back there than, yeah. uh, than a starting slot receiver. I said the general manager Dave Ziegler, he loves coming over during the punt return drill. He's a punt return in college, so he's he's staying on top of it. All right, we're gonna go now to Nick S. Nick, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm curious about, and I apologize if you guys have written about this before, but with Patrick Graham's defense that he's got, you know, you guys have talked a lot about the multiple looks, multiple formations. What kind of uh, pressure and what kind of blitzes can we expect out of his defense and where are they coming from? Is he going to bring pressure uh, from the second level with the linebackers, maybe a guy like Divine Diablo screaming in? Is he going to get the DBs involved? Uh, Just what kind of blitzes? And I hope anyway we can see pressure more often than we did under Gus last year, where it was no matter what, I'm bringing four, and that's that. 
Hey man, don't don't, uh, don't don't disregard Bradley's blitzes too much. You know he he rarely blitzed, but whenever he did, teams were so surprised by it that it worked every time. But um, I think Graham will blitz more. Uh, you know he he has um, yeah. I mean his I don't have his exact pressure rate in front of me, but he did come from um, New England at a time where they were just a straight up cover zero blitzing team, but they had the corners to do it. And I think if the Raiders find out, find that they have the defensive backs to, uh, to, to cover man to man well enough, then, you know, they'll, they'll bring more pressure. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that you're paying Max Crosby and um, you're paying uh, Chandler Jones uh, to be able to rush off the edge, you know, without having to blitz too much. I, I don't think that, I think that means that he won't, have an extremely high pressure rate, but he will blitz more than Bradley, but that's just, you know, it's not hard to blitz more than Bradley. Yeah. I'm looking at true media right now. And so the giants were 18, so it's not super high, but the, the Raiders blitzed 7% of the time last year, which was last in the league by far. And the giants were at 14% last year. So he basically blitzed twice as often as, as Gus Bradley did. And so it's not like he's sending heat every time, like the dolphins or something like that, but, um, he's going to mix it in there. We haven't seen a ton of it, I don't think. It's going off the top of my head at practice or in preseason. I don't, I don't see them, you know, throwing out a bunch of exotic blitzes out there and stuff before the games actually start counting. But it's definitely going to be something that they mix in there. And I think, you know, maybe because I, I I'm not too high on their pass rush depth behind Jones and Crosby. And so I think if one or both of them are off the field, I think that might be a situation where we start to see them send some more some more heat from elsewhere. Cool. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks a lot, Nick. All right, we're going to go now to Stephen L. Stephen, how you doing? I was curious, uh, you know, last last year with the, the old staff, you heard a lot about Rod Miles and uh, Rod Marinelli being stud position coaches. With this new regime coming in, um, are there certain position groups you guys think they have a really good coaching staff with? Um, obviously, McDaniels is a stud on the offensive side, but position group specific, is there anyone you think they, they have a really good coaching for? I'll start. I think uh, Antonio Pierce made a really good impression on me, a linebacking coach. I think he has the right ideas. He has the right mindset. His experience, I think he actually, from what I've seen so far, he relates to these guys pretty well. So I like him. He's probably my favorite position uh, coach uh, thus far. Yeah, I think um, you know Frank Ocam, the, the defensive line coach, I've heard good things about him from, from talking to a few people across the league and um, you know, last year he was with the Panthers and, and they were top 10 in, in pressure rate and um, they were up there in sacks. I think they were a little bit outside the top 10, maybe top 15 or so. Um, and so he's a younger coach, less experienced, much, much less experienced than Rodney and Nelly, like most coach, assistant coaches in the league. But um, he has a good track record um, and, and should be able to figure things out up front. Um, Jason Simmons, also the defensive backs coach. Um, they also have Chris Ash who helps out with the, with the DBs, but uh, Jason Simmons kind of run, runs things like he's he's um, really communicative at practice. You kind of hear him a lot, you know, compared to the other assistant coaches like the it was one time not yesterday, but the day before yesterday, um, the DBs were getting cooked pretty badly in like a red zone drill against the receivers. And like every rep, he was like, hey, what's that, man? Like, how, why are we doing it? Like, I don't understand that. Like, you need to do this move here. Like, why are you lined up? Like before the play starts, he's like giving instruction like live on the guys. And so. Um, those are two guys that, that, that have stood out so far. Awesome, thanks. And then another question for you guys, um, kind of random, but with your guys' years of covering and, and some of the special access you guys get to players, um, writing stories and stuff, 
any cool stories you have with some of the players or the alumni or coaches that are uh, kind of unique that you guys have had from your experience? I mean, uh, there's a bunch that come to mind. I'll tell you, um, one of my favorites was uh, the late Quentin Groves. Quentin Groves was a guy who was always in a great mood in the locker room. And, you know, usually in the locker room, back in, in Oakland especially, like these scrums, they kind of follow certain guys around. The, the TV cameras are there. They're waiting for someone to talk to a player. They jump in. So I'd often, would, and I'd tell Quentin this, that we were pretty tight, and I would tell Quentin, I'd come over and ask you a question, and the whole crew was going to follow me to you, and then I'm going to duck out and get somebody else. And he loved it, and uh, it was a big bit. We'd do it like uh, once a week or whatever. So he got some more media attention, and I was able to get the crowd away from me and try to talk somebody else one-on-one. So that was one of my big techniques back in the day. Uh, one of mine was, you know, Amari Cooper, when he was here, he was – he was a tough nut to crack, right? I mean, he was he was not a guy that would open up much in uh, in media sessions. You know, we'd we'd get a weekly scrum with him, and he would come there and just kind of very serious. At, you know, he'd get asked his five, six, seven questions, and you know, give you know one sentence answers and whatnot. Um, and in 2016, when the Raiders were going to be spending a week in Florida, my bosses wanted me like, you know, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend the week back there, we want you to write something uh, something different. So, you know, let's find some player who's from Florida and let's do a you know do a story, go to their hometown kind of thing. And um, so I said, you know, I settled on like, let me do a Mari Cooper story um, because I, I know it's it's not the easiest to to get him to talk. Um, and so I, I kind of came up with the idea I was going to write a story about uh, the uh, the kind of the youth center that uh, was right ac- pretty much right across the street from his house in, in the neighborhood where he grew up, where that was like the after school center that he went there you know, throughout the summer, every day after school. And um, it was a place he, he loved because it was, you know, very um, kind of athletes would go there. Um, it, it was a place where, you know, they play these pickup football games, pickup basketball games. And, um, you know, the minute I, I went and talked to him after one of his scrums and kind of told him I was going to do this story, like I just saw a completely different Amari Cooper. Like he just, he lit up and, and became like really excited and invested in me doing the story. He's like, he just kind of became a different person. And, uh, you know, and, and, and really it was kind of fun to like have like one moment where I actually got to connect with Amari Cooper that, that he, you know, you, you got to see a different side of him that like, talking to people within the Raiders organization, they always told me was there. Um, but we didn't really get to see. Um, and so that, that's the thing like a lot of these players, like, you know, when they when they're with us, sometimes they don't let their full personality out. But if you kind of can find that that right angle, that that one story that that they get interested in, they want to connect with um, that, that. That was pretty fun. I think that's one of the, the things you love about this job is when you can kind of find those those different types of stories that that suddenly get a player to, to kind of come out of their shell a little bit. I was going to add this. Too bad that Coop never showed that excitement on the field when he played. Right. <laughs> he suddenly right. did when he got to Dallas for like a little while. He suddenly is dancing and all that, and then that it didn't last that, that long. I mean, we'll see what he's like in, in Cleveland. Yeah, I was going to say I did a, a profile on Art Shell, and so I was interviewing him on the phone for a while. And like, you know, he's the guy like known for like his durability, like never missed any games, like all pro offensive linemen. And so I asked him like what in, went into that, and he was like. I wasn't listening no damn weights. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, lifting my body was enough, like, on the sled with John Madden, like, doing the, the sled drills back in the day. I'm like, oh, that's insane. Like, how did you never miss games and you, you wasn't fucking with weights like that? That was kind of, that was kind of crazy. He didn't have the tight muscles because he's not lifting weights, so the muscles are loose. Yeah. Not, he's got not getting those soft tissue injuries. There you go. Right, it's the key. It's the key. Yeah. My favorite thing was uh, in the Oakland Coliseum, 
where my seat was and where Jimmy's seat was, we were right next to the opposing defensive <laughs> coaches yep. box. So we got to hear everything they said. And, you know, we can't report if, if, on If they left say. the window open, it was dependent on them yeah. having the window open. Yeah, we, we can't report on everything they said. But, you know, there, there are some funny things uh, that, that happened uh, that we, we could hear from there. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I appreciate uh, it, Steven. we go now to Tanner M. Uh, I really hope this is Tanner Muse. Is this Tanner Muse? <laughs> is it? Tanner M. Man. Tanner M. Ah, uh, he disappeared. All right, what's oh, Tanner damn. Muse? It was him. He's, he's, getting, he's getting ready to unload on you he guys. Blue blew his cover. Blue his cover. All right, we're going to go to Rob C. now instead. Rob C., how's it going? Good, guys. How you guys doing? Good. 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 Um, I don't know. Do you guys think we give it a little too hard on Johnny Abrams? Like, I know I've, I, I've cursed his name as much as everybody else, but I'm a nerd. I got no life. I've been rewatching the games, and, like, he's in the mix. He hits hard. You know, he's decently athletic. He's, he's kind of close. <laughs> he's kind of close in coverage sometimes, but, like, do you not see him being a, a player in this league for another three, four years? No, he definitely has a role in this league. I mean, like, when he – he definitely took us like being in that box. I think that's what he is. He's a box safety. So like, because Brad is like, all right, so I'm gonna use him every play. And like, I mean, he had like a hundred plus tackles. He was effective sometimes when he blitz. It's just anytime they put him in coverage, it's like the other team is I'm throwing at him. And so that's as a safety, you just can't have that be a thing. I mean, like his completion percentage allowed last year. I'm looking at Pro Football Reference right now. It was like the 35th highest in the league, and like everybody above him is like a linebacker. Uh, and it's like. You know, if he was a, a at least he's not heavy enough to be a full time linebacker, and so it kind of yeah. puts you in a tricky spot. So because if he could gain ten ten pounds, he would be a linebacker and probably be a great linebacker. But he, I don't know if his body can really carry that much weight, and so it kind of puts him in a, a tricky spot. But he definitely has skills to be in the league. It's just it's hard to have a safety who, anytime you put him deep, teams are just going to throw at him every time. I mean, once the stigma of being a first round pick with the Raiders is is off him, you know goes on to another team, like being like a really good special teamer that goes down and, and, and lays some hits on special teams and, you know, has that kind of, you know, sub package role as a, as a hard hitting safety or, you know, or a sub package linebacker, you know, that, I mean, there, like you said, there's a role in this league for him. I, I don't, I just don't think he's ever going to live up to like, okay, he's a first round pick safety. That's going to be a, a game changer for you. He kind of reminds me of like Mark Barron. Like the old, uh, he was with the St. Louis Rams for a minute, uh, or soon to be Los Angeles Rams. But he was like, he's drafted to be a safety with the Bucks. He transitioned to linebacker and had like two seasons where he had like 100 plus tackles. But he was like 230 pounds. I think Abram is like 210. And so it's like, if he could get bigger, I think he could like be a pretty good linebacker. I just don't know if that's like physically, not everybody can put on that much weight, right? And so if he could do that, I think he could have a, a second kind of career arc where he takes off a little bit. Who's a better draft pick than him or Carl Joseph? Uh, I mean, Carl Joseph, his last year here got to be pretty good. You know, that, that interception he had against the, the steal that went against the Chargers, that yeah. was his last play as a Raider. Um, you know, he was having a pretty good year that year he's until playing, he got hurt. He? Yeah. Um, he's with the Browns. He's bounced, right. Browns yeah. and, like, Steelers practice squad. So he's bounced around. I mean, he – I mean, the – Probably a wash, right, between the two of those guys. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, they're pretty similar. They're both kind of smaller guys who throw their body around, so their bodies really couldn't handle it. I think that's been the issue with both those guys. They're both really kind of old-school kind of guys, kind of downhill, uh, and maybe not, uh, you know, Carl's a little better in terms of the pass game, but not a lot. So I just think um, two undersized, old-school guys who probably are, are pretty similar. Very cool. This was fun. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right. We're going to head over to Aaron B. What's going on, Aaron? Hey, how's it going, guys? This is uh, Aaron from AWOL Nation. I've talked to uh, Ted and Tashawn a little bit on, on Instagram. Oh, and, uh, what's up, man? Aaron! We finally meet. Yeah. We finally meet. <laughs> and I'll say that, uh, for starters, huge fan, always stoked. Uh, my lawyer, Eric German, is on right now, so shout out to him. He's, but... he's, he's next up in the queue, so he'll come on. <laughs> nice. It's, it's meant to be, so check it out. Ted and Tashawn were really cool uh, in responding to me, but Vic fully flossed me, and I need to say that <laughs> I just need to say that this, 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 this is, this is the perfect on. like the perfect place to, to to air this out. I like it. Well, how, how, but, how did I floss you? What, what the hell does that mean? But how, how did I floss you? Well, these guys will tell you what flossing is, but what I'll say is. You have like my third favorite vocals of all time, I think. So you're one of my favorite singers, and I tried to tell you that. And you would you tell where? On I'm not on Instagram very much. So you got he doesn't you know how to look at his hidden inbox. Well, you got to get in there, man, because there, there's all some right, good I jokes. Do more. Right? Yeah, my, my dog but, tells me the same thing. I got to be more. I got to do more Instagram so, stuff. So, so yeah. I'm, anyways, I'm a huge fan of your singing. So I apologize just, if, I, if I flossed you. It was not an intentional floss. I know. It was I know. Unintentional flossing. Of course, of course. So kind of a you know a dorky question, I suppose, and anyone could could uh, take the mic and answer. But I, I was wondering who your favorite NFL teams were growing up, and does that affect how you either report? And and the second question to piggyback would be is. How how emotionally tied are you guys to the games? You know, because I'm a train wreck as a Raiders fan, as I've communicated with with some of you, and and I'm just wondering how how it all feels. Yeah, with games, I don't really get. I mean, I'm not a Raiders fan. I, mean, I grew up in St. Louis. Like, I'm, my team doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, but like, when a game is like the the Week 18 game last year with the with the Raiders and Chargers, like I get I get hyped. Like internally, I don't react in the press box ever, but like I'm just like, yo, this shit is crazy. Like I, I thought the Raiders had it locked, and Herbert keeps throwing all these third down and fourth down passes. Like you, it's hard not to react when you see like crazy, crazy shit like that. But in terms of like the outcome, like I don't care. Like it doesn't affect me really any if like, they win or lose or it's a blowout or a close game. Like blowouts are pretty boring. I will say that. I am bored out of my mind when somebody gets their ass whooped. Like when they went to Kansas, Kansas City last year and danced on the logo and got beat by 40, that was one of the most boring games I ever covered. So I'd much rather it be a close competitive game. But the outcome, I don't, I don't really care too much personally. I grew up a uh, Steelers fan because this is like 40 years ago. They were always on TV. And so, uh, you know, I liked Terry Bradshaw. I liked uh, Lin Swan. I liked the defense. Uh, me and Joe Green. And I liked the team colors. I had a cool starter jacket when I was in grade school. Uh, <laughs> it got it got ripped off. I almost killed someone. But that's my story. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so when it, but once you get into sports writing, once you get older, you kind of become jaded. So I don't really have the ability to root for anybody anymore. Like, I, I still root for my Cal Bears. That's uh, – so I know the frustration Raider fans have had over the years. It's uh, it's not a good feeling to, to root for a team that you know loses more than it wins. But uh, other than Cal, I don't really have any kind of uh, strong rooting interest. I'm kind of just a jaded guy who loves football and loves my job and kind of uh, I attack it that way. 
I think what what uh, happens is you end up rooting for people, right, Vic? I mean, you yeah. there are pl- there are players that like you you develop connections with and you you know you enjoy it. like you want to see them do well and if that means their team does well then that's fine. I mean, but um yeah, you, there there are players that you like that you uh that you end up rooting for and I think that's that's really kind of how it comes. Like you want you want to see, you know, people have have success and uh you know what it means for the team, you know, can be can be secondary. I mean, like they they're, they're there were times covering the Raiders, like I'd wake up the next morning and I'm like, did they win yesterday? Did they lose? Like in terms of how, how, how like that, that the game carries with you, um, you know, you're really into it when you're watching the game and you're, you know, you're so locked in, but um, it, it is, it is a different experience as, as a sports writer where you don't, you know, you're not invested in the win or the loss. So it's like sometimes like literally the next day, like I'll, I'll have to remind myself what, what the final score was, what the result was. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, I started my whole sports journalism career just because I, I had a Raiders blog. Um, I, I did grow up a Raiders fan, uh, but as, you know, Vic said, when you are in this profession for a while, you kind of get jaded, and I kind of made it a point not to root for a team anymore. I mean, I remember my first time in a press box. You're not supposed to root for a team, and I, I think I – gave a little bit of a reaction to a later <laughs> touchdown and Jimmy had to hit me and say, I'm not supposed to do that here. So, yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, and I, I think most people would, would say I, I don't lean one way or the other in my coverage. And uh, I think that's an important thing. Uh, but I, I will say that I will, you know, I do want the Raiders to win a little bit more just because it's good for, uh, good for the views and, you know, and if they get in the playoffs, they get deep in playoffs, we're still doing a podcast and we're still writing about them. So, you know, th- there's that part of it. This is good for like the best thing for business is either for the Raiders to be fucking terrible or for them to be great. And so like, I don't want them. Great. Great is better. Yeah. Cause when they're terrible, people want to read about that for about a week. And then they're done. Yeah. So he, people that, that always think that like that people that think that like people that cover the team like oh you're just negative you want to see them lose it's good for business when a team wins that's yeah. that's that's the best thing for business is when a team wins yeah I don't want them to be seven and what is it seven and nine now yeah I don't I don't, I don't yeah. want seven, seven and, and 10. ten yeah I don't want that it's terrible like, nobody cares about a seven and ten team like like if they're a dumpster fire you want to know why is this so bad and if they're great like yo this is amazing so like. We we don't want the mid tier stuff, which you know we'll, we'll see which which end of the spectrum they end on this year. It's been so rough since we went to the Super Bowl and lost to Gruden, and you know it's been so incredibly painful and and disastrous since then. It finally feels good, and it was starting to feel good last season. Last season was a train wreck, and I feel like anyone listening and all the fans deserve, you know, an award for surviving that season, you know, and, and here we, here we go again. So I feel optimistic and I really appreciate you guys. I've rarely check out sports center, um, you know, the NFL app or even ESPN. I just exclusively check out your guys, you know, legit writing. And I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Right, Thanks a lot, dude. All right. Word appreciate up. It. And now we're going to go to Eric, his lawyer. And Eric is going to give us all the dirt on. Yeah. Eric what's this contract? What, what can you tell us, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> All I, all I can say is I don't know how the heck I'm supposed to follow Aaron, but uh, I will say uh, I will say this. Look, my question is this: as a, I love going to games at the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, I love the history. I love the punk rock, old school prison yard charm of the whole thing, right? And all the old heads out in the parking lot and all the fun that we all had. But you know, I have to be honest: going to games at Allegiant in Vegas has been. I mean, that facility is gorgeous. It's beautiful. The one thing I did not like was how many opposing fans 
kept showing up. I mean, it's not fun when you got a couple beers in you and a game's not going well against the Bears or whatever, some of those games. Not fun to be surrounded by, you know, guys in the opposing jerseys, right? So what I'm asking is this. Do you think that changes over time? The longer they're in Vegas, does that start to change? Or is this the new normal that we're going to be dealing with this? Yeah, I think, think it'll change. I think what I've heard with the Knights, the, the hockey team, is that it's a similar problem their first year. But if you win and fans, more local fans buy in, I think you'll see that the crowds become more and more dominantly Raider fans. So I think it's a phase when you go to a new town. Kind of, especially a town cool as Vegas. Everybody wants to go to Vegas for a road game. So I think it's a green natural. But ticket prices will go higher. It'll be harder to get tickets online if you're an opposing fan at some point. So, uh, you know, I think the key thing is winning. And I think that will definitely uh, follow as far as uh, less opposing fans. I don't know. I don't the only know. thing is, about, as, the ticket, as the ticket prices go higher – like if you're if you're that that Vegas resident who bought season tickets, that's more money that you can cash in. So like the higher the prices go, that might be even a little bit more incentive to like, oh, let me sell my tickets and make some. Yeah, money. I don't. Well, that's what they gotta show the the pride of the Great Raider Nation. You gotta have some pride as a fan, not sell your soul. For, you gotta... That's that's the question: is how many of the how many of the people that bought season tickets did it because they're the prideful members of the Raider Nation, or they said, that's a good buck I can make over the next, uh, you know, yeah, couple decades. Yeah, living here in Vegas. Do you guys I think, think – yeah, go ahead. Because, like, hockey – like, there's a bunch of people that don't got a hockey team, right? Like, I'm from St. Louis. I don't give a shit about the Blues, right? But it's – so many people have an NFL team, and, and Vegas is such a, like, transplant city. Like, I'm a transplant. Like, there's so many people that live here that, that aren't from here. They come here, they already have teams. So just because they live here and the Raiders are here doesn't mean they're going to switch and be a Raiders fan, right? And like, everybody wants to see their team play in Allegiant Stadium, where SoFi Stadium probably has a similar situation, uh, maybe to a lesser degree. And Vegas is such a, a touristy city that, like, you know, I'm working on a story right now about kind of Vegas becoming a sports market. And somebody told me, like, it's not so much about the 3 million people that live here. It's about the 50 million people that, that visit here every year. And so I think it's always going to be, like, a little bit split. Like, it's not going to be maybe not as drastic as, like, the the Bears game last year was crazy. Like, Gruden's last game was, like, like they were loud. And, like, the Raiders were getting at, like, they weren't getting ass whooped. They were losing. Like, the crowd was, like, going crazy. I'm like, what is this? And, like, I, I took my, my nephew on a tour of the stadium, and, like, like half the people on the tour were Eagles fans. That's when they were playing the Eagles that week. And so I think that's probably going to always be a little bit there. Like, at some point, like, if the Raiders are just, just are great and they're Super Bowl contenders, like, you know, more local fans will be into it. But, Vegas is just such a touristy city that I think, like, to a degree, like, a bunch of people. Because if you're in Vegas and the game is going on, like, why wouldn't you go, right? And so, uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be a little bit split pretty much, like, no matter how long they're in. Well, I, I don't know if you guys have been to SoFi, but I promise you 9-11 against the Chargers is going to be a lot of black in those yeah. dance. But yeah. thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, we're about out of hour here, so we're going to wrap up soon. But Tanner M. has joined the queue again. So we're going to get Tanner M. We're going to find out if this is Tanner Muse or not. If he, if he has a country accent, I know all the way is Tanner Muse. We'll see. Drum roll. I hit, whenever I hit the check mark on Tanner M., he doesn't no. actually, he disappears. It's, it's, uh, no. it's, it's remarkable. But all right, guys, we, we know there are still a few of you out there, but uh, we are at about an hour in, and uh, I got dinner to make here for the, uh, the family. So we, uh, we do have to get rolling, but uh, we do appreciate everybody joining in. Uh, this was fun. We will uh, we'll certainly make this uh, a habit to, uh, to do more of these. Uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll substitute some of our State of the Nation episodes for uh, for these live rooms and uh, maybe, you know, sneak in a few extra bonus live rooms here and there. But uh, this was fun. And uh, Raiders get back at it on Sunday against the Vikings. Um, nice little Sunday afternoon uh, preseason game. Don't get many of these. So that'll be uh, that'll be cool. All right, y'all. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, guys.